Well, this is Tabidi Anyabwile, and you're on the front porch. And uh, we're so glad you've joined us for uh, these conversations about biblical faithfulness in the African-American church and beyond. And uh, I'm excited for us to be continuing our conversation uh, with my brother, Bishop Perrin, uh, who was with us in the last episode, telling us about his early life and studies and how he came to know the Lord and gracious enough to be with us again uh, to pick up the conversation. Good to see you, brother. Amen. Amen. Now, when we were talking last time, uh, you just finished Carnegie Mellon. You'd gone off to Howard for a couple of years and worked with Tom Skinner Associates. And um, then you had a stint with a, another parachurch organization there for a couple of years before yeah. taking your first pastorate. Christian Action Council. Good. Yeah. Christian Action Council. Excellent. Um, and you're about to tell us about sort of your, your first longer pastorate with Great Commission and all that good stuff. So yeah. pick, pick up the story there if you don't mind. So I came back to Washington to work on a doctorate. Unfortunately, it was an act of disobedience on mm. my part mm. that I was pastoring Friendship Baptist Church in upstate New York. And God had told me that I would return to Washington, but that it would be a year later. And a professor from Howard called me. And said, have we got a deal for you? <laughs> Scholarship, you're going to be able to work at the uh, for the president. And, you know, it's great. You have money, the whole bit. And I took it. Okay. And came to Washington and uh, everything dried up mm. within a very short period of time. Mm. Uh, could not get anything at all. And, of course, I knew that it was a chastisement mm. um, from the Lord. So... Now, is that because you, you knew that you were supposed to remain in that church and in that for place? A year. For a year. Okay. For a year. For, yeah. for another year. Uh, it was an amazing thing. The pastor that followed me that they appointed um, ended up being a terrible minister, example mm. of, a, of a ministry, mm. um, just involved in a, a lifestyle mm. that was didn't please, wasn't pleasing to God. Mm. So I think sometimes when we get out of place, mm. um, our replacement, that's right. different different things happen that shouldn't happen. Mm, that's right. But I was I was there in Washington, and my family was really going through. Mm. It was kind of a a, a raven period. The mm. ravens fed us. Mm. God had some a faithful brother who said because uh, I couldn't get work and nothing was happening for me. He was a cab driver, and he said. I'm just going to stack a little money away and you just come and take whatever you need from it. Mm. In the midst of that, the only thing that opened was Parkway Baptist Church, which was predominantly white, had about five members who were African-American. And um, they were really struggling, getting ready to close the doors. And Mm. they kind of said, well, before we do that, let's try a black man. And uh, so they invited me to be the pastor. And that begun a very intriguing journey Mm. um, Mm. for our family. The first was, I can remember that it was was challenging in terms of the cross-culturalness that Mm. was there. Mm. My wife actually struggled greatly with that assignment, so much so that I reached the point where it was almost like, go wherever you want to go, but I have to be here because this is where I'm supposed to be, Mm. having just come off of being (laughs) chased. It took one whoop it up. (laughs) But right on the Sunday that I said that, it broke. Mm. And uh, she got joy in being there. Amen. God really transformed a transformation in that ministry. One of the things that happened, and I've been doing the Great Commission 
ever since I've been saved. Amen. Um, I wouldn't have known that, mm. you know, but I clearly see that today that back in Pittsburgh, when we first got saved, we were witnessing on the street, we were witnessing in schools, we were doing everything we could to bring people to Christ. And um, I, at the church, there was a young lady who went to Jamaica and she came back and she said, Pastor, you, you need to go to Jamaica. And I said, ah, you know, I believe in uh, people going abroad and doing all those kind of things, but you go and we'll give you the money. It's not a problem. So we did and she went again, come back, Pastor, you need to go, you need to go to Jamaica. I said, nah, you know, we'll give you the money, you go. And so there was another family because uh, the church was had a lot of different ethnic groups in it, ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we pitched it that way. It was just the way God dealt it. But there was a family from Guyana, okay. South America. And they came to me and they said, um, Pastor, you need to come to Guyana and do some relief work. Um, take some clothes and stuff like that and mm. reach out. It's real poor. It's the 30th poorest country in the Caribbean mm. next to Haiti. Mm. And I don't know why that appealed to me. Um, but I agreed. I, I didn't struggle with that as much as the idea of, and maybe what I had is the idea of uh, mud huts and mm. Mm. Uh, I don't know, something in my head about going to do mission work. So went over South America, taking relief, clothes, food, money, resources. When I got there, I was overwhelmed mm. um, by the by the poverty, by everything, everything, everything. Mm. The poverty, the um, the lifestyles of where people were in terms of development, in mm. terms of you know, just to make a simple phone call, took a day. You know, so, and it was just like watching an old movie where they'd be like, this is the operator. We have your call. Do you want to place your call now? And, you know, going Mm -hmm. through all of those kinds of changes that were there, transportation, vehicles, they were still making cars work that we might have had in 1919, you know, that they had been able to engineer to still work. Mm. So there were just so many different things there that caused me, um, but mostly to see the the pastors who had primarily a Sunday school education, Mm. and they were pastoring churches and carrying on the work of the Lord. And I I said, Lord, I give you my life Mm. to stay here and work with the churches. Mm. And he said, nope, what I want you to do is to go home and encourage your brothers and sisters to go. Amen. And I said, okay. So I went back home, and of course, I still didn't know, you know, I'm the person that wasn't going (laughs) (laughs) at all. I will send you. We got the money. We'll send you. Mm. Um, Now my job is to encourage other people who feel the same way or Mm -hmm. similar to go. Mm -hmm. We started working with pastors and churches and church leaders and members and over a period of time, begun to take hundreds of people uh, overseas. And of course now, I've always been involved in evangelism. I've been, always been evangelistic. So the church itself 
grew from 35 people to 4,000 people. Um, and so I got accused later of like, you're so overseas minded. And I'd say, I, I don't know how you get there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because at that time, no matter who came to town or w- what kind of evangelistic event, people called upon Great Commission to be a part of uh, the witnessing team, the discipling team, the teaching team. Um, so it, it was that kind of thing. If I could just jump in there. How did you lead through that tension? Because it, it does strike me that that comes up often in churches where um, there, there may be a group of folks who are zealous for missions and zealous for going. And there may be a group of folks who feel like, well, right here where we are, there's a lot of need. And, and you have this tension between sort of focusing at home and, and focusing abroad. Um, how did you guys sort of live through that, work through that? How did you lead the church through that? Yeah. Ironically, I didn't have it in the first church. Okay. Um, and I think it's because people kind of saw the evolution. Hmm. That took place because I I would say no you know you go and we'll pay and and when we came back um, from the trip in South America it was just an inclusion of people mm-hmm. I wasn't selling anything mm-hmm. at that point and as that inclusion grew to be able to say hey, there's a real need for your gift mm-hmm. your gift um, would you go and and Guyana was reasonable as well as far as to get to yeah. expense wise. It's not like Africa where you're saying you have to pay three thousand dollars. Right. So even from a budget point of view, mm-hmm. people themselves could say, "Well, I got four hundred dollars, you know, pay for the trip. We go through Miami. We're in Guyana. Come back." Mm-hmm. It was again even for time, because when you go to Africa, you got to yeah. consider if you go this far, you need to be there ten days. Right. You could go to Guyana and be there a week and mm-hmm. feel that you had really had mm-hmm. a beneficial kind of trip. So. For the first go-round, it wasn't that kind of difficult. It's more present okay. in my present ministry where uh, people wonder, like, well, you know, you, you come in right from the beginning. You're talking mm-hmm. about missions, mm-hmm. going over and sending people. And, and they haven't had all of the background, all the mm-hmm. training and uh, teaching. So it makes it more difficult. Yeah. I think the thing that we try to do is to keep balance um, to help people to see that the ministry is balanced. Mm-hmm. It's not even with everything we'd love to do overseas, you still got to respond to what God has put right before you. That's right. Right at that moment. That's right. Right at that time. Mm-hmm. And that may keep you from even something overseas yeah. that you may know needs to be done, but you know what's right before you right now. Like for us right now, it's just caring. Mm. Um, mm. trying to get a group of people to care about one another mm. and teaching them to care about one another before we can teach them to, to care about Russians mm-hmm. and Africans and Filipinos mm. and Chinese mm-hmm. and so forth. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So in that way, there's a, there's a real difference between uh, a situation a pastor might be in where the church is growing with him mm-hmm. in some emphasis. They're right. experiencing it together. Yeah. And where you're the new guy. Right. You know, maybe introducing an emphasis that the church hasn't maybe hasn't had in a while or, or hasn't had. And uh, hasn't had the people who have had the experience. Um, for instance, a lot of people when I left, 
went to First Baptist of Glen Arden okay. under the ministry of Pastor John Jenkins. And when he would meet with me, he said, man, I'm getting a lot of your old members, man. <laughs> you know? But the great thing for him that he would testify to is that they, they all came mission ready. Mm. They came tithing ready. They mm. came teaching ready. They came stewardship ready. Mm. Um, that's great. Whereas the people that we're receiving now, of course, because we're doing evangelism, new community and so mm -hmm. forth, they're saying, we don't get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is this emphasis? Well, why are we got to do this? Why mm -hmm. are we, you know, right off, give 10% of the church's income mm -hmm. to missions. We give, take up every Sunday mm -hmm. and offer it for missions. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money. We need the money right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all of that, all of that teaching and training to, to sort of do a fresh. Right. Yeah, with that. Right. Now, how, how long were you with Great Commission? I was there, goodness, 82 to about 98. Praise God. Uh, somewhere there. Praise God. So a nearly 20-year ministry. Yeah. yeah. Praise God. About 20 years. Right. And so what And, and what was the trans, the transition there, um, leaving Great Commission? What what was that like? What did the Lord have for you then? What, what happened was we kept doing missions and different assignments, both locally and internationally. And we got to a point where... Um, both of them were growing. The church had grown to be 4,000 people, and then overseas, what we were doing had grown Amen. with a number of churches that looked to us for different things. Uh, had to make a lot of decisions during that time. Like some people wanted us, because you look at ecclesiastical structures, and some people wanted us to be their bishop. Mm -hmm. And we kind of struggled through that to say, for a country, for somebody that's over in China or India or uh, South America, and it was South America that it really grew out of, we said, you know, there's no way, you need elders. Mm -hmm. you, need, you need bona fide church leaders within your local congregation, because by the time I get here to deal with something that you're dealing with, or that we appoint somebody, or and then knowing their character and all that, mm -hmm. you, you got all that. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to be that kind of bishop. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is to say, if you're involved in reaching the world for Christ, then we can coalesce together Amen. and do ministry together. Um, and so that was kind of how it developed. And we saw that there was a need to focus upon that work. Mm -hmm. And then the, our local church needed focus. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to be able to uh, be gone quite mm -hmm. a bit of time and mm -hmm. at the same time pastor a local church. Mm -hmm. So, Amen. But it sounds like over those years, um, the Lord has used you. I, I think back to your saying being South American, saying, Lord, you know, I'll, I'll come send me. Mm -hmm. And the Lord has chosen to use you in a, a multiplicative way rather than mm -hmm. simply an additional way. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of just mm -hmm. adding you as one other person, right. said to the field in South America instead, uh, to use that experience and use you to get tons of other people. Yeah. moving and going and uh, praise God for that. Yeah, praise that's God. pretty much what's happened. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Praise God for that. Yeah. I look at Pastor John Jenkins who we, he was one of those pastors that we went alongside of and said, you gotta go, John, you gotta go. No, 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 no. Here's the money. You all go. Have a great time. But stay with it and John is just when the time we were together done some wonderful things mm. in missions mm. uh, to right now I think they're giving a million dollars annually to um, South America and um, uh, slips my mind. But 
is is an awesome kind of thing to see from a person saying, no, I won't go. Mm. We're not involved. We can't do it. I don't see it. To like now having sent out people who became missionaries, Amen. supporting them. Their paradigms have changed over time mm. as they've gone through probably about five or six different mission paradigms. Mm. Um, but it's been a wonderful thing to do, to mm-hmm. see James Graham and Virginia, to see him, no, no, I'm not, no, no. And again, to see in Ghana, Liberia, um, connection with the governments, with the presidents and so on of these countries. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. Well, that might be a way to sort of um, close this segment, sort of by asking asking you, what counsel would you give? A guy's listening to this, he's in his church, uh, maybe he's feeling a kind of mission-like stirring in his soul, or, or maybe he's the guy saying, ah, yeah, this is a nice interview, but no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing the missions thing. Mm-hmm. What, what counsel or what challenge would you give that guy? How would you have them start? What would you encourage them to consider? The first thing, I would encourage them to see that they are doing missions. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I hope they are, mm-hmm. because they're planted in some specific community with the goal and the ambition to reach that community for Christ. Amen. And that that is the foundation that all of us have to begin to reach the world mm. or to reach another state or to reach some other part of our own country mm. or some groups within our cities that may be difficult to reach. So that'd be the first. And I'd say they should use that as the means of dialogue mm. Uh, mm. to help their people to understand missions, period. So whether that group is with them or not with them, most people can agree that we're to reach this community. Yeah, that's right. And so we learn right off of that experience of how to reach people. Mm. And then I'd say, don't force it. Um, really know that you you got to sense what God is doing within that congregation at that time. There's some very specific needs, spiritual needs mm. that may need to be met. And they may come because the last person that was here uh, robbed the church or the last person here committed adultery or the mm. last person here was a tyrant. Mm. And we just haven't got over that. Mm-hmm. We And we need to heal. We need to be delivered from that. We need to see good leadership, pastoral, biblical leadership uh, to take place. So don't force it. Um, be right where you are for the moment. And then I'd say, you know, you don't want to die. And what I mean by that is that when you have an unction, mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard not to see it fulfilled at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. But the advice I would give is like kind of where I am right now. I'd, I'd love to take three or four trips, but I only take one. Mm. And I make that one suffice. Mm. And so I would say, take a good trip that, and take a few people with you that you see who are developing and training and feeling good about it can be discipled. Mm. Go with them, mm-hmm. come back and live off of that. And then as the ministry grows, add to the places that you are able to reach. Amen. Amen. Praise God. But brother, I'm I'm so encouraged talking with you, man, and and gleaning from you. And I look forward to our next segment, Lord willing, talking about um, the ministry of conferencing and and sort of rallying further people to the work uh, of missions. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for joining us on the front porch. Come, Come pull up a chair again.